BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And now, now, prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. You got your ass, Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow. Now is there? Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here, all right? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast, Podcast. with host A. Trunk. Hey, everybody, it's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New episodes every Thursday, always free. Get it wherever you get your podcast, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. As I tell you guys every week, the interviews you hear on the Eddie Trunk Podcast all originate on my SiriusXM radio show, Trunk Nation, which is heard live Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Volume, Channel 106. It replays every night, 10 to midnight Eastern, and full shows, audio, video, and more anytime you want on the SiriusXM app. If you are in the U.S. or Canada and you can get SiriusXM and you are only listening to this podcast, you are only getting a tiny, tiny fraction of what I do on a daily basis on the radio. So be sure to come on board with us and join us every day, Talk and Rock on Trunk Nation on volume. To that end, last week's podcast, we gave you something a little different for the first time in ages, not an interview, but you saw something else that we do on the show from time to time, these throwdowns where we debate classic records or classic moments in rock. A lot of fun. And uh, you can get involved in all of that and call in, of course, if you come on board and listen on the radio every day with us on Trunk Nation. Thanks to everybody listening around the world to the podcast. Much appreciated. Uh, we have, and we're back to our interviews, of course, which will always be the, the the bulk of what you get on the podcast. And this week, 
I've got one for you that originated from my Vegas studio. It's amazing how many people in the music community, in the rock community, in the entertainment field now live in Las Vegas. Obviously, Las Vegas is the entertainment capital, and there's always things going on and residencies and people coming through there, and that's been the case for a very long time. But what's interesting now is people living there, moving there, and uh, being a homeowner there myself now, I can tell you it is crazy what's happening in the suburbs and the growth of that town. And every day I'm getting calls or texts from people that are friends saying that they are indeed moving or have moved to Vegas. So it's incredible the people that I'm able to pick off and have on the show when I am at my place in Vegas. And one of the guys that moved there most recently is Geezer Butler, of course, a founding member of Black Sabbath, the band's bassist and lyricist. Geezer, I've known forever. We spent some time together not too long ago in Austin, Texas for the Dio documentary premiere. And uh, I, sp I spoke to Geezer's wife, Gloria, who's also his manager, who I'm in touch with. And I said, you know, when, when he's got time to come and hang out, have him come by the, uh, you know, my place, let's do a show together. And sure enough, he said, yeah, he'll do it. And I've said this so often. Uh, the, to me, the best interviews are often when somebody has nothing to promote. They're just hanging out, especially when it's somebody like Geezer Butler with the history he has in music. And it was funny because before he came over the place to do this interview and sit in with me, he uh, he said his wife called me. And she said, you know, he's a little concerned because he really doesn't have anything to talk about. He's got nothing really going on. And I said, no, 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 that's good. That's fine. <laughs> he's got 50 years of being in the band that created heavy metal to talk about. We're good. So uh, that is exactly what we did. And he did, of course, come over and you're about to hear that conversation. And if you've not, I'm sure you've heard interviews with Geezer before, but if not, he's got a very dry sense of humor. He's very funny, actually. And he came with his dog and we had a nice chat and then he left. And uh, when he left, he said, you know, I've got a book coming out. And when that book is ready, I want to come back on and talk about the book. And I said, of course. So we'll do more with Geezer when his autobiography comes out, which I believe is probably early next year. Hopefully we'll do stuff with him again earlier, but uh, hopefully, uh, certainly for the, the book when it's, it comes out next. So it was great visiting with him. This interview took place, I don't know, about a month ago. So I wanted to get it on for you on the podcast because it's Geezer friggin' Butler. I mean, come on, one of the founding fathers of metal, and I think you're going to enjoy the conversation. Don't forget to follow me on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook page, eddietrunk.com is the site. Thanks to everybody I met in Houston on Saturday last week at the Ace Freely Show at Warehouse Live. Great time there. I'll be back there in June for the Tom Kiefer LA Guns Faster Pussycat Show to host that, but always a good time at Warehouse Live. And thanks to Justin Ellerton, the owner there, for having me and uh, all the great rock fans I met in Houston and hung out with. So keep an eye on my social media. I'll let you know about guests on the radio show, upcoming appearances, and all sorts of other rock news and, and what have you. But let's get to this week's interview again from Vegas, Geezer Butler. The one of the, as I call it, the founding fathers of metal because Sabbath are the creators. And uh, we'll get to that right now on the Eddie Trunk podcast. All right. So Geezer Butler has been located. <laughs> he should be walking in any minute. Uh, there he is. He's he's found it. <laughs> he's He's got a dog with him, too. Look at this. This is the first time I've had, ever had an animal in my new home. Hey, buddy. Hi, Deb. 
Yeah, we're yeah, of course. Yeah, we're live on the air, geez. Hello, <laughs> sit, sit down, please, and yeah. put that headset on. Yeah. <laughs> Good to see you, geez. You too. You too. Uh, let's get you wired up so the audience can hear you. Everybody's excited you're here. I appreciate you doing this. Ladies okay. and gentlemen, Geezer Butler. Hello there. Did you have trouble finding it? Would you yes. take a dip in my pool for a second? <laughs> <laughs> I've been driving around for three hours. Your old, your old bandmate, Steve Stevens, was here not long ago, and he did the same thing as you. I had to go find him uh, milling around down by the pool there. But it's tough to find because it's new construction. But yeah. good to see you. You too. I like your shirt. What's it say? Hell Satan? <laughs> Oh, man. How do you like Vegas? I love it. Yeah? Yeah. Been here a little while now, right? About a year, yeah. I think you bought your place around the same time I bought this, actually. And uh, you're out of L.A. completely now? Yours. Yours. Happy about that? Yeah, because you can actually go somewhere and it doesn't take you three hours to get there. Uh, and not having those taxes is not a bad thing either, right? That's right, yeah. But that's still to be determined. Your bandmate uh, Ozzy has had enough of living in L.A. too. He's moving back to England. Yeah, Sharon's already there, I think. Yeah. Are you? Do you stay close in touch with your Sabbath bandmates? Not at all. No. <laughs> well, we've been on the road for fifty years together. We couldn't stand the sight of each other at the end. So you're done when you're when you're not together. You're done. Is it the occasional text message or not even? I sometimes uh, email Tony, or he emails me, like mm-hmm. about happy Christmas or happy birthday, and that's about it. When was the last time you talked to Ozzy? Um, 2017. Is that right? Is there is two the, days after the final gig? Is there an is there any issue, or just you doing your own thing? No, we just sort of went our own ways. What about Bill? I saw him, last time I seen Bill was at um, the Lifetime Grammy Award. Uh-huh. So that was about two or three years ago. All right, all right. Well, we, of course, hung out at the uh, in Austin recently for yes. the Dio documentary, which was a lot of fun. Um, me and Sebastian stole your popcorn after you left. You left it all there, so we ate what was left of your popcorn. Probably had butter in it or something. <laughs> no, it's quite good, actually. But... Um, but the film, what did you think of the film? I loved it. I mean, um, I thought it was so emotional towards the end. Yeah. And it was good because it didn't slag anybody or anything like that. Um, it was really emotional. I really did think that. You actually were with Ronnie in his final moments, were you not? Yeah. We were there right until about four hours before he finally left us. Did you get to have a final word with him? Did you know it was the end? Well, he was, um, yeah, yeah. He was so uh, out of it on morphine because of the pain. Um, he was just like sort of lying there and we knew that, it, you know, it was just a matter of time before he left us. Um, so at one point, but just before I left, I held his hand and I says my goodbyes to him. Mm. And then four hours later, he was gone. Was was there any music geese that you made with Ronnie that has not come out, even if it was from the last record, The Devil You Know, stuff that was left off of it or anything? Not really, no. I mean, there's obviously outtakes and stuff like that. Um, I can't think of anything that we didn't 
actually put on the album that. How about back in the early Sabbath days? Did you guys ever over-record? I know there's been a lot of Sabbath box sets that have come out. Volume 4 came out. Master of Reality came out. All these, uh, par- uh, the um, second record stuff came out from. Did Was there some bonus stuff on some of that and some not so much, just remixes and things? Did you ever, did you guys used to over-record at all or was it just what was needed at the time? It's usually just what we needed. I mean, there's demo stuff out there. I think um, Jeff Nichols, cousin or something found a tape when jeff nichols the keyboard player passed away he left uh, a tape of uh, demo stuff well not demo rehearsals and i think it was his cousin or something put it on the internet tony wasn't happy about it tony went mental about it he was on here with it talking about not how, how unhappy he was that that came out like that yeah i think it was something from heaven and hell right yeah the first album yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it was because we did like two or three songs that um, didn't really come up to the mark. Right. Tell me about your life now because you're here in Vegas. I think you also have a home in Utah, right? Yes. And you're you're here. Uh, you did Deadland Ritual. You started up with a new band with uh, Matt Sorum, Steve Stevens, who I mentioned, Frankie Perez. You put some music out. You played a few gigs. You had said you pr- that's pretty much a done issue at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, it's... it's it was literally like starting all over again. And um <laughs> hard to go from private planes with Sabbath to vans exactly in clubs. And you play you, you know, you're staying at the four seasons hotels and Ritz Carlton suites and everything. And then you end up in Holiday Inn. Right. And um I'm not being a snob about it, but <laughs> I, had, then, I would understand it's hard to change gears like that. Could, the European buses were absolutely horrendous. There's these great big double-decker things they have over there. They don't have the, the Prevos like you get in America. Right. And I just could not sleep on them. And yeah. um, the first two gigs, we started in Sweden, and we had to finish in Sweden, get straight on the bus, drive to Germany. And we got there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, straight onto the stage without any sleep or anything. And... Um, just far too old for that. Yeah, yeah. So would you consider yourself retired from music now, or are you still recording and writing, and would you like to do something? Um, I think of myself as retired now, but I'm always playing music. It's to me, blow, it's what I do. So around the house, do you always have a bass handy? Are you always... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, still? Yeah, absolutely. I've got my studio in this house, and the studio in the house in Utah, and the studio in my house in England. So do you do a lot of writing? Um, yeah, when I'm in the mood. And what are you going to what do you do with it? Is it the intent to maybe give it to other people or do you want to maybe do a record at some point? Um, if, if I come up with anything that I think is worth putting out to the public, then I'll do it. But um, at the moment, it's just more like a hobby. Did you like the Deadline Ritual music? Did you like what you guys created I musically? I thought it was really good. Yeah. I did too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was real interesting. Do you play guitar a lot? When I'm writing, yeah. You originally, I read, started out on guitar. Is that right? Yeah, I used to have a black Fender Telecaster. And you're so known and so accomplished as a bass player. How did you make that transition? Why did you change? Um, well, rhythm, the, the stuff that I was getting into, like Hendrix and Cream and um, bands like that, didn't have rhythm players. Because I was... I always became a rhythm guitarist because I wanted to be John Lennon. And uh, as soon as I seen the Beatles, that's all I wanted to play. 
So, um, and I didn't really think about bass guitar. And then when Sabbath got together, uh, we had a, a rhythm guitarist and I switched to bass. There was a rhythm guitarist in Sabbath early on that wasn't well, Tony? Yeah. The original, uh, when it was called Polka Talk Blues Band and Earth. Right. We had... Uh, there was a second guitar player? Yeah, and a saxophonist. <laughs> a what? <laughs> a saxophone player? Yeah. So it was, it, was, it was you, Ozzy, Bill, Tony, a second guitarist, and a sax player? Yeah. That was Polka Talk Blues, and that was just before it became Sabbath? Well, it became Earth after that. Earth. When, we, when we got rid of the sax player and um, the rhythm guitarist, it became Earth. But you weren't the rhythm guitarist in Polka Talk? Nope. I was the bass player, but I used to play, because I couldn't afford a bass, so I used to uh, tune my rhythm guitar down <laughs> and uh, play bass did, on that. Did you ever play any guitar on Sabbath records? Um, any parts? Yeah. Uh, what was it now? I think on volume four. Yeah? I did uh, an outro part on 12-string guitar. Wow, that's wild. I never, I mean, so who, 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 when, when you made the switch from guitar to bass, what did you, you mentioned John Lennon was a big influence as far as playing guitar, but was there a bass guy when you started playing bass? Jack Bruce and Cream. Jack Bruce. Oh, because Clapton was like, he, he, we all used to call Clapton God back then in the 60s. And I went to see Cream, and I was just mesmerized by Jack Bruce. I'd never even thought about bass players before. Even McCartney. I used to think of McCartney as a singer, but not a bass player for some reason. Right. And um, it wasn't until I saw Cream, and the way Jack Bruce is playing his bass, that I even thought, wow, that's what you can do on bass. Yeah. And then you applied it to what you guys, you and Tony were writing at the time and what was coming together as Sabbath. Did, did you, I mean, I and many others feel very strongly that Sabbath created heavy metal. I, I call you guys the founding fathers. When you were making the first Sabbath record 52 years ago, I'm sure you didn't really, there was no definition for that music, right? It was just what was coming out of you. When did you first hear the term heavy metal being applied to what you were doing? Uh, I think I told you before when we were on tour in uh, America, I think it was the second tour in the States. And I read this review and the guy said, this isn't music. It sounds more like a bunch of heavy metal being smashed together. Oh, you said this at the Dio <laughs> documentary, yeah. at the panel we did. Yeah, that's and right. somehow that got over to England. And from then on, it was like a sarcastic um, thing that used to, the, the, used to apply to us. This isn't music. It's a load of heavy metal being smashed right. together. And um, for some reason, it got, we got stuck with it. Did you have a backup plan when you were a kid in the early years of Sabbath before you knew if the band was going to make it? Was there another interest you had? Did you go to school for something? Well, I left school when I was 15 and tried to uh, apprenticed to be an, uh, an accountant for three years. And I was absolutely awful at it. <laughs> and I hated it. I hate going to work from nine till five every day. I just well, couldn't yeah. do it. And... Um, Eventually, I, got, I used to get drunk and smashed out of my brains just to get me to go to work. And, um, so you had that, to get loaded to go do accounting work? Yeah. Oof. I hated it that much. 
So I used to go to the pub till three in the afternoon, then go turn up at the uh, office at four in the afternoon, smash down my brains, take black bombers to get me through the... <laughs> What's a fight. black bomber? These uppers. <laughs> I would have hated if you were my accountant, man. <laughs> the numbers would have been fucked. <laughs> Hey, geezer, were you were you called geezer then? Did people call yeah, you geezer? Called they called you geezer. geezer as an accountant? From when I was 11. <laughs> oh, my taxes are being done by geezer, and he smashed out of his mind, and the, the government's after me. The numbers are sideways. <laughs> and eventually, the uh, the guy that run the factory, the office, called me into his office and said, But that, you're fired. Uh <laughs> Did you take care because you had that experience? Did you do any business work early with the band? Did you count yeah, when you the, got paid? Were you the guy that collected the money? It's the only time that we never got ripped off. <laughs> it's true. I used to get the twenty quid a night that we used to get, <laughs> and um, spend it on petrol. And then if we had any money, we'd uh, go down the chip shop. Oh man, I, I look. I only I have a short amount of time here because I, I and I promised the audience they could ask you two, a few questions, but I could I could talk to you forever. But just a couple quick things I always wanted to ask you. Sometimes people I think forget that you actually played with Ozzy in his solo band more than once. You did the No Rest for the Wicked tour, and then you actually played on Osmosis, right? Yeah, which actually is one of my favorite records that he made is Osmosis. What was that experience like for you playing with Ozzy in the solo band at that time? you know, outside the Sabbath? Uh, it's strange because I'd never uh, played bass to anybody else's music except Sabbath stuff. Right. So that was weird, especially with Bob Daisley used a pick and I used fingers. He so. uses a pick? Yeah. I thought you said Bob Daisley was a pig. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure we get that straight. He uses a pick. Yeah. And you use your fingers. Right? And um, so he his bass playing totally worlds apart from what I do. So I had to learn a completely different style of playing mm -hmm. um so that was weird um as far as recording the album the the uh producer that we had i d didn't get on with him at all is that beinhorn yeah yeah okay so the you, did you like the record or you you just didn't like the process never, of recording i never it? listened to it you since. never you remember the song perry mason I think that was yeah. on that. I think that was on that record. I think I don't have all of it in front of me, but there's some there. I, th I thought there was some great stuff on that record. Um, and I'm jumping around here just because uh, there, there's stuff I've always wanted to hit you with before we let the audience have some time with you. The Born Again record, the one record with Ian Gillen. Interesting what's happened with that record over the decades, because there's a new appreciation, I think, for it. At the time, it wasn't well received. But in, in the years since, I, there's a lot of people that really love that record. What are, what are your recollections about the one record with Ian Gillen? Um, I think that some of the songs on there are great. I thought the band sounded great. I mean, was playing great on there. I thought, thought Gillen was singing better than ever. Um, some great riffs, Zero the Hero. Yeah. Um, can't remember what. Trashed. Trashed, Born Again. Yeah. Um, but it just didn't, when we went on the, it was great doing the album, but the, somehow the mix didn't get done right. Um, and I kept saying the album to me, the songs to me is, that's not me, it's me dog. <laughs> exactly. Geezer's not, Geezer doesn't have a fur ball. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought the mix wasn't great on it, but um, I listened to it. Uh, about six months ago, I thought it was a really good album. 
You know, Tony told me recently that he always wanted to remix it, but they couldn't find the masters. And then and Tony told me they just found the masters. Did you know that? I don't think so. No, maybe that's why I was listening to it again. Yeah, he said they found the masters, and now he he would like to go back in and do an alternate mix of that at some point. I I think it'd be cool to have an alternate. I I think that as much as the original mix was a bit maligned over the years, it's funny how kind of people almost cite that record as like a precursor to grunge in the way it sounds. So you never know. Sometimes time changes perception. Yeah, so I was much. surprised uh, how good it was when I listened to it a few months ago. Yeah, and I hadn't listened to it since the eighties. Yeah, yeah. And what about the what? What seems to be and will be, I'm assuming, the final ever Sabbath record, which is thirteen, which is now what six, seven years old, something like that. At that point, what? what how did you feel about making that record, and what are your thoughts about it now that some time has passed as a final Sabbath record? Um, some of it I liked, some of it I didn't like particularly. Uh, it was a weird experience. Um, especially with uh, being told to forget that you're a heavy metal band. <laughs> is, is that what, what Rick Rubin said? Yeah, that was the first thing he said to us. He played us the, our very first album and um, said, cast your mind back to them when there was no such thing as heavy metal or anything like that and pretend it's like the follow-up album to that, which is a ridiculous thing to think. Mm. Mm. yeah it's interesting when you hear from you hear from musicians over the years who have worked with rick rubin some love him and praise him others are confused by the experience sounds like you were and others flat flat out didn't like it at all so where you you land somewhere in the middle it sounds like well it's I still don't know what he did. <laughs> well, that's what most people say. But, he lays uh, on a sofa and says, sound like this. Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, that's good. No, don't do that. And you go, why? Just don't do it. And you, you'll do it. Like Ozzy, I think Ozzy one day went nuts because he'd done like 10 different vocals. And Rick kept saying, yeah, that's great. But do another one. And Ozzy just went, if it's great, why am I doing another one? <laughs> <laughs> he just lost it and uh, and that's the way it was it was like Tony wasn't happy with some of the stuff he was uh, trying to make him play amps he was making Tony get 1968 amps as if that's going to make you sound like back in 1968 <laughs> it's mad <laughs> um, but it's good for uh, publicity and it's good for the record company right you know they if you got Rick Rubin involved, then it must be good. Kind I of guess. Thing. I don't know how many people in the public space actually pay attention to producers or well, it's mixers. It's mainly record masters. companies yeah, and pub yeah. publishers. Yeah. It's funny when you talk about as a musician making people do, you're doing things over and over and you can't figure out why. I, you know, I've done a lot of TV in my career and I've had, to do, I've had that too where I've done two or three takes of something. I've done TV stuff with you, and and you look at the camera, and they're like, "That was really good, but let's get another one." Well, why? You know, what are we doing? It's really good. Come on, and like, they never tell you why. No, it's just, they call or they say we need a safety. That's yeah. what they call it. a yeah. safety for what? You've got it. Let's go. You know, it's it's ridiculous. Um, you you ended up uh, as everybody knows. You were the lyricist in Sabbath on all the Aussie records. And then when Ronnie came in, you didn't have to do that anymore. I imagine on Born Again, you didn't do that either. Did Ian Gillen write his, his own lyrics? Yeah, Gillen wrote them. So for you, uh, with doing 13, did you return to being a lyricist? Did you write the lyrics? I had to. Nobody else would. I mean, Ozzy came up with a lot of the ideas and partial lyrics. And then um, 
I was left to f fill in everything else. Ozzy wrote, uh, I think, two or three sets of lyrics. Mm. You miss being on stage? Not at all. You don't? No. So, because, you know, I've, I've talked to Tony a lot recently, and it sounds like he's got a little bit of an itch to do something musically, whether it's a one-off gig or whether it's just making a record or working on the catalog. Do you talk to him about that at all? No, not at all. No. But the thing is, I did two with Deadland Ritual, and Tony hasn't been on stage since uh, the Sabbath. Right. Since Sabbath finished. So right. I've already done, you know, had my fill of crap gigs. So in your in your you're you're done as far as your this stage of your life as far as going so. out <laughs> as as far as going out and performing and touring, jumping up and playing with somebody maybe, but the idea of going out yeah maybe one off right, um you know on the on a whim but no gigs or anything, and the idea if you come up with the stuff you're working on writing and recording the chance that you might want to put it out at some point. The beauty of today is you don't have to go through all the record company and producer stuff. You could just go on your website and pump it out tomorrow just to let people hear what you're doing. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I'm still Pedro, my, my guitarist with GZR was um, still sends me loads of stuff. He just came out with that, sent me something last week. It's really, really good. So I might do something with that. Mm. And when we were at the, in, in Texas together recently, you were promoting an NFT. Tell the audience about that. You'll have to ask Gloria about that. Your wife. <laughs> I've no Did idea. it come out? Yeah, but the company that put it out isn't great. Yellow Heart or something they're called. Um, so we, it's a three-part NFT. So the next two parts will be on the diff coming out on a different company. The money that you raised from it, you were giving to Ukraine, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. The animals in help the animals uh, reunite with the families in Ukraine. Yeah, I saw that on the news. It was heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, of course, across the board. What's going on there? But the the animals, uh, the impact on that is. I, I saw a few news pieces on that. It's terrible because you see, not only are these little kids like being bombed and everything, but the the pets are nowhere to be found. And as a kid growing up with a dog all was in my life it's like one of the main parts of your family yeah uh, you know where else uh, there's a real big animal crisis right now is in shanghai i don't know if you caught that on the news but because they're locked down because of covid they've gone over they've gone out of their heads with uh, a couple people have covid and locking people in their houses they're taking their animals away from them yeah and leaving them in them. bags and to die on the road it's yeah. one of the most heartbreaking things what's going on there as well it's horrendous you 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 have been a vegetarian for how long since i was about between eight and 12 years old vegetarian or vegan vegetarian and then vegan for the past 35 years so what what uh, what inspired you to be a vegetarian that young was it your love of animals or was it no, something else it was uh one day I had this piece of... I'd only ever eat meat if it was like burnt to a crisp. And um, we didn't have much anyway when I was growing up. And this one day, it wasn't burnt to a crisp and I cut it open and blood came out of it. And I just freaked out when I saw this blood. At eight? Yeah. Yeah. And I said to me, Mum, why is the blood on this? And she said, it's from an animal. And it, what? And I just thought, you know, the thought of killing my dog and eating it and it just stuck in my head, and I could never eat meat after that. And you became a vegan how long ago? 
About 35 years. You've been a vegan for 35 years? Yes. What inspired that? Um, Health or just... Because on the road, if you say vegetarian, some people used to put give you chicken and stuff like that for some reason. So I used to write, no, just vegan, no animals whatsoever, or butter or dairy or anything like that. Mm. And um, it was just an easier way to do it. I mean, at home, it's up to you. You can make, you know... You know exactly what goes into everything, but when you're on the road, you trust in uh, the caterers. So it was easier for me to say vegan, so they didn't put butter or anything like that in the meals. Is there any food that you really missed back in the day that you used to like to eat that you don't anymore? Um, no, not really, because you can get everything vegan now anyway. Right. Is your wife, is Gloria vegan? No. Nah. Is she vegetarian? Nope. So do you get freaked out if she's sitting across from you eating a, st- no, she's never, eating a steak? No, I'm not that kind of a person that puts people down for eating me. It's just that it's my personal choice and that's it. Right. And you've been sober now for how long? Um, about seven years. Well, congratulations. What Thanks facilitated that? Because you and I have had some nights where you haven't been sober. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why. <laughs> they were fun nights, but I understand. But was there one incident, or was it the thing that happened with you? You got in a fight with somebody or something yeah, a few years in, back. Um, to call it's in Arizona? Death, or? Death, Death Valley. Valley. Which is here in Nevada, right? I think. California. Okay. Was that the, the, the thing that facilitated it, or was it something you were thinking about yeah, anyway? waking up... Co- Coming round covered in blood and um, in prison, <laughs> in jail, got me uh, thinking, oh, I think I better become sober. Was that difficult for you to do after all these years of drinking? No, it was, uh, I just felt totally ashamed of myself. I mean, bloke my age, still fighting in bars, ridiculous. Did you so, did you go through uh, some sort of treatment, or did you just flip yeah, the switch? Yeah, I went to rehab. You did, and uh, yeah, got through that. And you, you, so obviously that was effective and stuck for you. Yeah, yeah, well, that's good. Congratulations, it, it, amazing, vegan, sober. Look at you. You look great. You, how old are you now? Seventy three. Hundred and nine. No, you're not. Get out of here. Seventy three in July. Seventy three. In, you're you're still young, man. <laughs> you are. Look at Mick Jagger up there still playing, all these guys still playing. You can still do it. I saw Glenn Hughes last night. He was here in Vegas. I told him you were, he couldn't believe you li- were living here. I said, you got to hit up Geese. Glenn and I were hanging out last night. And, I've seen him about a month ago. Yeah. I said to Glenn, I, I, Glenn looks like he's like, you know, he's still got the hair. He's ready to go. He's singing great and everything. You could do that, man. You're the same age. I no, think thanks. he's. You're done. You don't think do it. <laughs> Oh, man. Last thing before we let a few uh, people in the audience say hello to you. You were working on a book. Where where are you at with that? Finished. I sent the manuscript in three weeks ago. So now I'm just waiting for the edited version to come back so I can go nuts. Go nuts in how? Like what? If they've edited out stuff you want. Politically incorrect stuff. Right. Right. So what do you when is your time? When do you expect it to come out? You hope the end of the year? Um, I think it's looking like the beginning of next year now. Okay. And it's your it's your life story. It's an autobiography, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
I can't wait to read it. So we'll look forward to that towards the end of the year. And hopefully they leave in all the politically incorrect but stuff. But the That's trouble is, want. ever since I sent in the manuscript, I've thought about seven things I've left out. Right. So... <laughs> I'm going to probably drive them nuts now. So. Well, no, that's to hold on to that because that's when you do the sequel. When the first one comes out and does well. Yeah, it's 10 pages you, long. You do the second one. No, that's okay. You'll have more experiences. You'll have more stories. There'll be more stuff in there. All right, Geezer Butler is here. Uh, thank you so much, Geese, for taking some time out. I appreciate it. I know you're not busy at all, apparently, because you're retired. That's it's right. not like you have anything else to do. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get a few phone calls on for uh, for Geezer. This is Ryan in Minnesota who is going to kick us off. Hold on. I just need to reboot my phones here to make sure this is working right. And Ryan, are you there? Hey, Eddie and Geezer. It's actually Brian in Minnesota. But uh, uh, Brian. Go ahead, Brian. Great great to be on with you, Geezer. Um, before I ask my question, I, I got to tell you, 26 years ago, when I was an up-and-coming uh, young uh, radio jock myself, you were one of my very first interviews, and you were very gracious to talk to then, and you're always a pleasure to see live and listen to. So thank you again for doing that 26 years ago. Um, oh, thank you, Brian. For you, well, yeah, thank you, thank you, man. It, it, it was great. I mean, like I said, it was one of my first interviews, and you, you couldn't have been a better person to talk to. Um, my question for you today is talking about uh, Black Sabbath and the Heaven and Hell project with Ronnie. Um, what would you have seen in the future for that if Ronnie hadn't unfortunately passed away at the time that he did? Um, well, I think uh, Ronnie was about to do um, another solo album. And then we were talking about uh, doing something after uh, his solo album. Yeah, he had, he was working on uh, I think another Magica, which is what he which there was because there's one song that was done actually, and that that's what I know he was working on at the time. Uh, let's let's say hello to Ray, who is in New York, joining us now. Hey, Ray. Hey, Geezer, how are you, sir? Uh, first of all, um, I got to tell you, I'm a bass player, and up next to you, I sound like a third grader playing. So, thank you for that. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, question lyrically, and you know, the way mar they marketed Sabbath was a very evil, dark band, when lyrically there was a lot of spirituality in there, a lot of it being positive. In fact, uh, Striper even covered your song uh, After Forever, I believe. Um, I'm curious as to the background of those lyrics spiritually, where they came from, if you held to a certain faith or still do. Uh, well, I was brought up very, very strict Catholic, um, he is really wearing a shirt that says Hail Satan, by the way. I'm not making that up when he uh, walked in. And then I talked to the dark side. <laughs> Turned to the dark side. No, I was brought up in a very strict Catholic. I used to love going to church and mass. Um, and so, obviously, that I really believed in Satan and all that kind of crap. Um, and so that sort of went over to uh, the lyrics that I wrote. Right, after Forever was... Uh, probably the most Christian song that's ever been. Um, mm. It was based on all the uh, the sectarian violence in Ireland, Northern Ireland. Uh, my parents were from Ireland, uh, so it really affected me to uh, see P Protestants and Catholics killing themselves, killing each other over uh, the same kind of belief. 
Where, what, what uh, was it? The news and the stuff that was happening in the seventies that inspired your lyrics? Was did, did a, what was a lot of it when you sat down to write? Was it challenging for you to write lyrics? Were you kind of did not you go into it begrudgingly? No, no I was uh, very poetical when I was a kid. When okay. I was at school, I was really good at English language and English literature. Um, so it was just part of. Uh, where I was into. I was and and the, the inspiration for it and the, th- the things that shaped your lyric writing, whether it was religion or the news of the day at the time, that's really what the, the Sabbath songs are, are about at there that point. There was anti-war, uh, all the stuff that was going on in Vietnam and all that. Um, my brothers had been drawn into the Suez Canal War uh, and I saw that what the effect that that had on my mom. So What's Iron? What are the, where'd the lyrics from Iron Man come from? It was sort of uh, based on Jesus Christ. Well, I never put that together. Yeah, it's like this guy that goes and does good, and then he comes, uh, he's trying to spread the word, and uh, ends up being crucified for telling the truth. And that was like Iron Man coming, seeing the future, coming back to tell the world how horrible it's going to be, and um, and people turn against him, but. In, like, whereas Jesus like died to save people, Iron Man takes his revenge, and that's that's the biggest difference. Is he live or dead? The first lyric in the song. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. All right, let's say hello to uh, Chad in South Carolina because I'm just trying to move quick because we have limited time here. Chad, go ahead. You're on with Geezer. Hey, Geezer. I gotta say, it is just an honor to get to talk with you. One of my all-time favorite bands is Sabbath. So thank you for all that you've done. Cheers, uh, Chad. Hey, thanks. Uh, my quick question is, so my brother, he is just an inspiring bass player, and he also looks up to you as uh, one of his many influences. So my question is, what kind of advice would you give for aspiring bass players today? Um, just stick with it. I mean, but it's, it's uh, hard to uh, progress on your own. So as long as he plays to get a drum machine or something like that, that can improve your playing. To have something to play to or along with uh, can improve. Uh, and just practice every day. Keep practicing and practicing and practicing. All right, Chad. Thank you for the call. Do you play guitar much, Geese, still, just for fun? Yes. You do? Yeah, because it's hard to write stuff just on bass. Right. So, uh, yeah, I write most of the stuff on um, guitar. Here's Adam in Wisconsin on Live with Geezer Butler here on Trunk Nation. Hey, Adam. Hey, Eddie, and it's an honor to talk to you, Geezer. I've been listening to your music for years. I kind of went backwards in a way because my dad introduced me because he was a huge fan of the Heaven and Hell Mob Rules era. And then I kind of, because I always kind of took the Aussie stuff for granted, but the lyrics are still fantastic in those albums. Um, Thank so you. it's an honor to talk to you. Um, what I wanted to ask about is uh, an album that doesn't get talked about it too much, but I think is fantastic, is uh, Cross Purposes, one of the Tony Martin era ones, or the only one that you ever really played on. Any good memories from that? I mean, I know it was kind of the contentious period for Sabbath, but I still think it's, there's some fantastic songs on there, like Evil Eye and The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, and songs like that. Yeah, it was one of the, f- the few albums where... Um... I'd written a lot of the songs as well as Tony, because usually it was Tony that wrote the music and I'd write the lyrics. But on that album, I think I wrote 
half of the music on there. So that was a total change from usual. You good, yeah, Adam? I think it's fantastic. I'm sorry? Thank you. Uh, no, I said, are you good? Oh, Did you yeah. have a follow-up? Are you good? Uh, no, just uh, sing your praises. And I'm also a bass player, too, but I'm a, I'm a plectrum player. I Every time I try to play, like, Lady Evil or any of the stuff with with Ozzy, like Hand of Doom, my hand always cramps up. So you're the master, man. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks. Adam, take care. Do you, as you've gotten older, is it is it more challenging to play the way you play? Is it is there? Do you have problems with your hands, your fingers, anything? I mean, that happens a lot with drummers, I know, and some musicians. Their um, arm, their elbow, their shoulders. You have any problems? No, not, not really. No, that's good. I mean, the, the only problems I have is whizzing around the stage like like I used to. Right. And I would just stand there and play. In all the lyrics that you've written on all the Sabbath stuff. When was there ever a time where you presented them to Ozzy and he looked at them and he said, "What the fuck are you writing about?" Yes. <laughs> is there one that one From or two stories? One. one or two stories that jumps out where you had to sit down with him and say, "No, oh, this is how you got to phrase it. This is what we're going for." No, he does all the phrasing and everything like that. But I, I have to write the lyrics to the nth degree. Every tiny little syllable that he comes up with. <laughs> If the, if the word that I use is, is like two syllables and he's only singing one syllable, he won't sing it. So you write it out phonetically almost? Would yeah, you? <laughs> you have to. Otherwise, he won't sing it. But uh, I always remember Paranoid when I wrote par- the lyrics to Paranoid. What's Paranoid mean? <laughs> he didn't know what even Paranoid meant, no, the word. He it sang it and like about two weeks later, and, what's Paranoid mean anyway? <laughs> Well, Zach once told Zach Wild once told me a story about um, about Mr. Crowley uh, because in because in in Ozzy's solo career, as I'm sure you know, Bob Daisley was you. He yeah. you know Bob Daisley played all the bass and wrote all the lyrics. Yeah. So so one time Zach told me a story something about uh, he was reading some story about the occult or something and and. Uh, I think Bob Daisley had wrote Mr. Crowley about Aleister Crowley or something, right? Yeah. And 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 Ozzy goes, I was reading a book or something. Aleister Crowley goes, "What is that rubbish about?" And Zach goes, "That's the guy you've been singing about for forty years." And he said, "Oh, this Mr. Crowley I had no idea." <laughs> oh God, it's too funny. All right, a few more minutes left to go here with Geezer Butler live from Vegas today here on Trunk Nation. The big NFL draft is uh, today, Geezer. You got any interest in that? Uh, absolutely none. You went to the uh, Super, Bowl. Super Bowl, though, right? Yeah. I yeah. saw some photos. So you like sports. You Oh, yeah. You yeah. don't care about the draft, but you watch. You're a uh, Rams fan, right? Yeah. Because of when they were, because you're St. ties Louis. to St. Louis, right? Yeah. And the Cardinals, and that's that's pretty Cardinals, much your sports yeah. allegiance, right? Yeah. And the, but, but soccer, uh, British, football. yeah, European football is your thing. What's Absolutely. your team again? Aston Villa. And who, who else? Sabbath was a fan of that team. Nobody was like me because I, I bleed it. Uh, Ozzy occasionally went there. Tony occasionally went there, but nobody's a fanatic like I am. So is there a was there a compete? Who who's the biggest rival to Aston Villa? Birmingham City. And is was anybody in Sabbath a fan of that team? No. Oh, okay. would, the band wouldn't have existed if there was. <laughs> I was curious about that was, because, like you know, I'm a big Giants fan, so we don't like the Dallas Cowboys or the Eagles or Washington. So 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about uh, your type of football, so I didn't know how that rivalry framed oh, no, itself. It's, it's pure hatred. Yeah, well, the, that's uh... that's how we are in American football too with our rivals. So uh, let's let's say hello to uh, Mike, who's in New York. Get him in real quick. Go ahead, Mike. Hello, Giza. Thank you for taking my call. I'm a huge fan. I just wanted to ask a question about what was it like working with Ronnie James Dio on the Devil You Know album, and uh, what kind of uh, writing contributions did he make and what was the process like thank you it was fantastic because we we wrote uh, he had a, a studio in his basement and uh, me and tony used to go around to his studio with our ideas and um it was nice and intimate the three of us would sit down in the basement with mike exeter on the doing on the control board and we just discussed what we were going to do i'd maybe come up with a, a a riff and Ronnie would uh, go away and think about that, put some lyrics to it and everything. And uh, Tony would do have a riff. So it was really good. It's really uh, an easy album to write. You know, we talked a little bit about the different singers you worked with in Sabbath and the different periods of, of time and, and, and all that went on. One of the things we didn't touch on was the different drummers. Cause of course, Bill Ward on all the, the classic early stuff, but Vinnie Apice coming in, you as the bass player, you got to lock in with the drummer. Even on the, the Born Again tour, that was Bev Bevan that played, right? On the tour, yeah. Yeah. So how, how, did it, how did you feel about working with some of those different drummers, whether it was Vinnie or Bev, or I don't know if you worked with any others in Sabbath. I don't know if Cozy or anybody, but how did, how, did you, uh, how did you lock in with them, and what were the adjustments versus playing with Bill? Um, well, me and Bill, I think... We're totally unique because Bill's got this swing totally. feel to, to his, his playing. Yeah. So uh, um, we really grew up together. Uh, Vinny is great, straightforward, uh, great timekeeper, powerful drummer. Um, it was great. You know, I've played with the best drummer, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, so important for you as a bass player to be comfortable and locked in with. Do you remember the very, Vinny told me the very first show he ever played with Sabbath, I think he said was in Hawaii, and he had all the charts written out on paper <laughs> on yeah. his drums, and then a big gust of wind came, and because it was an outdoor <laughs> gig, and blew it all away. Yeah, it was like, he was literally left twisting in the wind. <laughs> we had like two hours, two days rehearsal in L.A., because the promoter in Hawaii, because it was a big football stadium that we were playing, yeah. the promoter threatened to sue us to death, so we couldn't cancel it. We had two days rehearsal with Vinny, and off to Hawaii, and just hope for the best. What was the most Spinal Tap moment in, in your career? In, in a, because some have said there's stuff in Spinal Tap that was taken from Sabbath, and the Sabbath experience. Stonehenge thing. <laughs> that was for the Born Again tour, right? Yeah. And uh, the tour manager, he wrote the... Because uh, Don Arden managed us at the time. And right. he says, oh, it'd be great to have a Stonehenge backdrop and all this kind of... With the sun rising up as you gradually as you're playing. And we're going, hey, you're going to have the sun rising up on stage? And um, so he says, yeah, it's got to do the Stonehenge thing. Because one of the tracks was called Stonehenge on the Born Again album. And um, so the tour manager wrote down the, the specs to build the Stonehenge thing. And <laughs> he wrote them in feet, in no, feet, and went to the place that made them, and they did it in metres. <laughs> so it was three, three times bigger than what it was supposed to be. We couldn't fit it on any stage. 
So you had the reverse issue with Spinal Tap where the Stonehenge was too yeah, big. Yeah. And Spinal Tap was too small. Yeah. And in the end, we got to America. We just had to leave it in the docks in America. <laughs> what did you, when you saw the movie Spinal Tap, did, were you offended by it or did you get a kick oh, out of it? Was it? Lovely. It's brilliant. <laughs> okay. I used to play every day on the bus on tour. Because there are some musicians that felt it was a little too close to home and was I taking think, the piss too much. I think Iron Maiden hated it. <laughs> It's timeless. It's the best movie. It still holds up. It's 40 years later. It's incredible. Uh, let me see if I can get one more quick one in. Uh, let's get uh, uh, Dan in Toronto real quick, Dan. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Good, Dan. Real quick Hello, with Dan. your question, Dan, because I'm almost out of time. Uh, my que- uh, Yeah, my question is, uh, uh, well, one, honored and a privilege to talk to you, uh, Geese. Um, Thank you, Dan. Electric funeral fire. Where did that come from? Electric funeral. It was a bit uh, yeah. like what we're going through now, the threat of nuclear war, uh, which was, it was the height of uh, the Cold War going on at the time. And we were, it was like air raid, you got to build your uh, nuclear air raid shelters and all that. So it came about from that. Do you have a favorite Black Sabbath song? No, not really. Do you have a favorite Black Sabbath album? Um, no. Do you ever go listen to your old stuff? Occasionally, but very rarely. Just maybe for for the for just to go back in time, or do you listen to it for usually for a reason? Like I have to I've got prove non, something. Non favorite albums. What's your non favorite album? Never say die. Okay. What about technical ecstasy? That was good. I like that. You like that oh, one? some of them was was that the one with Gypsy on it? I I think yeah. That was the worst song I ever wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Never say die least favorite, just because it was unraveling at that time. Yeah, just yeah. all the problems we had doing it, and um, just the title track is killer on that though. I love the song "Never Say Die." It's it's not the songs aren't that bad. It's just the the band was like in turmoil back then. It was right. just like uh, I just every any time I hear it, I always think of the horrible things we we're going through. Right. All right, well, that music means we're out of time. I can't thank you enough for coming by. Well, thank you, Eddie. I appreciate it. You know where I'm at now, so yep. don't be a stranger. Come sit in any time. You could be my co-host. You're retired. You might want to start a career in radio. Oh, all right, yeah. You could come sit here and just, you know, tell us some stories. I'd, I'd love it. My audience would, too. Thank you so much. Seriously, I appreciate it. Thank, thank you, you for Eddie. coming by. Well, always great to visit with Geese. You know, it's always incredible when you have the opportunity to talk to legendary, legendary artists like that who have made such massive contributions. I mean, as well as I know him, just to be able to say, hey, so what are the lyrics in Iron Man about? (laughs) Because he wrote them is just surreal. And uh, that was like a real pinch me moment during that conversation for me. Uh, Just And and by the way, I didn't know the answer. I was very surprised to hear the answer because I had no clue. Uh, but it's just something you take for granted. You've heard that song a billion times. Like, hey, what is this actually about? I always thought it was like a sci-fi thing or something. Uh, but who knew? He said it's, it was, he wrote it about Jesus. I mean, that's unbelievable. So uh, we could talk to Geese forever. We'll have him back. And again, thanks to Geezer Butler. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. For the most part, the takeaway there is he's pretty much retired. And he's enjoying having a home here in Vegas. And also he has a home in... Uh, In Utah, he splits time between, and a home in England still as well. And uh, we'll do more with him. He's my neighbor when I'm in Vegas. So hopefully we can do more down the line. 
And uh, I appreciate him, and I thank his wife, Gloria, and manager, she is as well, for setting that up for me. And look forward to his book coming out soon. Thank you all for listening to the podcast. Again, please join me if you're in the U.S. or Canada and you have Sirius XM. Please join me every day. Talk and rock with you on volume channel 106, live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern for Trunk Nation. Nightly re-airs 10 to midnight Eastern and full shows, audio, video, more, anything you want, anytime you want on the Sirius XM app. If you're only listening to the podcast and you can get Sirius XM, you're only getting a fraction of what I do on a daily basis every week on the radio. Thanks to Joel Pollack for producing. I will see you guys next Thursday for another all-new podcast and on the radio every day, live 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Volume Channel 106. Have a good week. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help. And yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.